Welcome to Talks with Trivium. My name is Michelle Schaller. I'm the Senior Director of Behavioral Health at Trivium Life Services. Trivium Life Services is a nonprofit organization headquartered in Council Bluffs, Iowa. We have locations in Iowa, Nebraska, Idaho, Vermont, and New Hampshire. Services vary by location and include long-term support services, such as supported community living for individuals with intellectual disabilities, physical disabilities, and or complex mental health diagnoses. We have intensive residential service homes that provide community-based services for adults with severe and persistent mental illness and or substance use disorders. We also provide a range of behavioral health services, including your traditional counseling mental health services, employee assistance programs, student assistance programs, outpatient substance use disorder treatment, including partial day hospitalization, as well as domestic violence offender intervention. Our goal in Talks with Trivium is to introduce you to some of those services and the people providing them. We'll discuss topics related to mental health and seek to continue to normalize mental health as a component of overall health. Welcome to Talks with Trivium. Thank you so much for joining us, Stacey. I am excited to meet you for the first time. Uh, I know you're familiar with Jeff and he's going to tell us a little bit about your background and we'll take some time to get to know each other. All right. Thank you. Yeah. So I've known Stacy for a while in her various roles in Ralston Public Schools. I think it'd be great for our listeners just to hear a little bit about yourself and, you know, your journey in education. Sure. So, and thank you for asking me to do this. This is great. And I think the topic that you're focusing on here is super important. So I appreciate it. And Jeff's so important to our school, to Ralston High School. So I just want to give a shout out to him too. So So a little bit about my background. This is my third school, but I've been here for most of my career, 19 years. I taught English, Spanish, and uh, English learners sheltered English. So um, our newcomers to the country, I I would help teach them English. And that was actually my favorite teaching job. And then through that, I kind of had an experience with some of my students where I started a group called the Latina Empowerment Group. And through that, I worked with a social worker named Marilee Clunan, who has since passed away, sadly. But at that point, I had just started my counseling degree and knew for sure that's where I wanted to head. And then I became a counselor at Ralston High School because of my Latino students, honestly, and the help that they needed and kind of the gap that was there for them. They really didn't have a lot of advocacy going on in a school. So that's where I started with it. And then I fell in love with counseling. I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed the academic side, but I also really enjoyed the personal social side. And then eventually I decided to go back to school again and became an administrator. So then I was the dean of students for a few years. So it was a big flip-flop to go from counseling to discipline, but I took a lot of those skills into being a dean and it was more of a boys town method. So really working through things and teaching some restorative justice things. So um, I took a lot of that with me, which I think was pretty helpful. Now I'm working on my doctorate and I'm an assistant principal at Ralston High School. So I've kind of seen the whole breadth of education, enjoyed all steps of it, but I'm excited about this adventure. I'm only in my second year as the assistant principal. So Excellent. Great summary and just amazing involvement that you've had with such a diverse population over the years. You know, you mentioned the newcomer program. That's something, gosh, I feel like we could talk about that at length. Uh, Such a neat program. The deaf and hard of hearing classroom is something else. 
We have the EL program. We have the deaf and hard of hearing program. We have about 20% of our students who are SPED and about 60, 65% of our students are free reduced lunch. Very diverse population. We have 45 languages spoken in our program. So we are a diverse school, but strangely enough, a class B because we're stuck in the middle of Omaha with a three mile radius. So it's a unique school. So honestly, we're really lucky to have all of the experiences that kids can have here and still serve all of that breadth of different kinds of students. Absolutely. You said it well. I really feel that when I'm in the building, it is just an amazing group of students, staff working together. You know, there's Issues like there are in any high school, but the solutions that seem to be available to students, I'm just blown away every time I hear about something that's being offered or the ways that, you know, students can achieve success in your building. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. Wanted to ask a little bit about your experience with the student assistance program. Our listeners have heard a little bit about that about what student assistance programs are. And we can, you know, kind of fill in along the way if we need to. But what about your experiences with the student assistance program in general? So that's really grown at Ralston High School, I would say. I used to actually run that program. And now we have two ladies, Jordan Engel, who is our freshman success coordinator. And we have um, one of our counselors, Tara Vaughn, who run that program, and they do a fantastic job. They've come leaps and bounds from where I was. Um, I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants, to be honest. But the beauty of the way that we do it, and I think it has been unique and kind of um, really honestly modeled, I think, at some point by other schools, is that every Friday we get together as a group, as a team, and that includes counselors, some administrators, the school nurse, sometimes our attendance secretary, We have the school social worker is always there. Steve Snodgrass is always there. And then we have various people that might come in for different reasons. We've had um, people in the EL department or SPED department. Our school site comes in from time to time. That team of people actually looks at data. And so we are completely data-driven on how we serve students. In the data that we look at, we look at attendance. We look at how they're doing in their classes. Are they failing classes? Are they barely passing classes? And then we also look at their behavior records. So the referral rates and the referrals that they're getting and the days that they're out because of behavior. So in looking at all of that data, we make sure that that's ready for the meetings. And then we sit down and discuss those students specifically. Sometimes we'll bring students into the room. And we sit with the students and ask them the questions, you know, like, why, why is this not going well? And we try not to intimidate them. So it's not like we have 20 people at a table staring at a kid and, you know, grilling them. But it might be just the freshman success coordinator and the counselor that would sit with them to make them feel comfortable just going through like an attendance survey, maybe like to find out why they're missing school and maybe provide some scaffolding or help that they might need. So maybe they need transportation. Maybe they need help in the morning. Maybe Steve Snodgrass will work with them. There might be some mental health issues going on. So then we contact Jeff, who already has full caseloads, but we contact him anyway. And then we spread out to other um, services, CCRC, and we use One World as well. We do have other outreach programs that we can reach out to and use. And then we always stay abreast of the different programs, like Latino Center of the Midlands has a program called Pathways, 
for our Latino males that we can send them to if they're struggling with how they grow up to be successful young men. And that program actually is geared toward that and getting them into school and getting them graduated. We have Avenue Scholars. We have College Possible. We have mentors. We have teammates mentorship. We just started Mentor You. So all of these things we use in our programming for students to design a program for that specific student that might work. We always reach out to parents. We always include parents or guardians in our decision making and how we're planning things. I would say most of our parents are super receptive and ready for some help. There's about, I would say, 15 to 20 percent of our parents who are like, no, we don't want anything. Wait, what are you doing? Why are you talking to my kid? That becomes a little more difficult and a little trickier. We still work with that student and try to motivate them. The one thing that we are not really honestly successful with is when a parent says, absolutely not, hands off. I don't want you talking to my student. I don't want you. He's fine. And there's not a CPS reason to uh, believe that there's a concern, which sometimes we go to with that. And then the student also is really obstinate. That's kind of the trifecta of we're just going to try to work with this kid where he's at because that becomes really difficult. Those are the toughest kids. But for the most part, I think the SAP program works really well. And our freshman success team has done a fantastic job of teaming up and working on that SAP program. So each team has their own SAP that they work on. Are you saying SAP like student assistance programs? Yes. Student assistance team. And then the student assistance program is the overall program. So your internal student assistance program, which you were just speaking to, is light years ahead of other programs that I've worked with or heard about. It's just amazing to hear all the different things that you do internally. And then student assistance programs on the external side, which is where mental health services, for example, Arbor Family Counseling and Trivium would partner with a, a school district. Yes, honestly, that's huge. And that that's a piece of our, our internal program, but that's been an integral piece. And here's why. So being able to work with outside agencies and make sure that these students have that access, especially in the school, has been key. So we were able at one point to, you know, refer out, and we can still refer out. We still refer out to like Arbor Family and One World and some other places. But and that's fine for some families, but most of our families do not have the ability to get those kids to these appointments. So that's the big deterrent, right? So We've worked really hard to make sure that we have Jeff here and some other available options because those kids without that, we would have, well, I can tell you what we would have because before we had those programs in place, because we fought really hard for those programs. Before we had those programs in place, we were, we were drowning as counselors. We were out of our depth. We were drowning. Actually sent two of our counselors to get their LMHP because we were, we didn't know what to do. You know, we're, we're very aware of our scope and Counselors in a high school often have the community counseling side, but they don't have the LMHP side. And that's a big difference. So knowing that we're not licensed mental health practitioners, there were things that were coming to us that were that were just not appropriate for us to be treating. You know, we, we aren't treatment people. We are, you know, solution focused. Let's get back to class. Let's figure out how to solve this. But these kids needed treatment. They needed treatment. And we were having a hard time finding a way to solve it. So um, having that outreach has been so very important to the school. I can't emphasize that enough. Like we would never now not have that piece. 
in place. That's great to hear. And yeah, as school counselors and, you know, of course, other faculty, any of those trusted adults in the lives of students, they are absolutely the first person sometimes to hear about a emerging mental health issue or even a crisis and the preparation that can go into that. Like you mentioned, getting a clinical license, continuing education. There's so many things that you really need to do to be able to meet that need. And the benefit of having that trusting relationship with students really sets the tone for them accessing help. I agree. I would also agree that it's really important for the school to trust the agencies they're working with, to be honest. And it takes a little while to develop that trust. But once once it's there, that's a big deal, too, because then you feel really confident and comfortable saying this person works really well with these kids. This person has been awesome with some of my students. These are the things I've seen. And families need that because some of our families, it's tough for them to take that leap. Okay, yeah, we want we want our kid to have this help. That's a tough conversation to have. So to be able to do that with confidence and really know that where we're sending those students is going to make a difference is probably maybe the, the key to the whole program, honestly. Incredible. I do want to point out, you know, of course, there's more than one way to implement a student assistance program. And not all of our programs will include on-site counseling, but yours does. And it sounds like you feel really strongly that that's a strength for this partnership and has made some positive impact. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, every school is going to be different. I know that some of our more um, rural schools, they would look different. I get that they can't get kids to places all the time. And so, you know, being able to zoom into to a therapist is a big deal for those. I mean, I grew up in a small community in Wyoming, and I can tell you that community is still anti-therapy, anti-psychiatrist, you know, psychiatrist, anti-help, mental health help, even though a lot of them could really use it. Isn't that how it goes? Yes, it really is how it goes. Like, it's just a little toxic situation. It's really tough for rural families to even access it once they finally decide to do that. So that it does look different, and I acknowledge that. But for us, this is probably the way that works best for us. Yeah, that's a great segue into one of my questions, which is, as a school administrator, what would you say is the state of mental health stigma among among your students and faculty um, or within your community? Faculty, um, I would say our older faculty have a little bit of a stigma with it still. They think they can just take care of themselves. They'll be fine. I'm going to admit, even having been a counselor before, sometimes I'm that way too. So older faculty, probably still that stigma there. The younger faculty seem very comfortable. They are very comfortable with talking about it, accessing their resources, talking about their mental health. They talk about it very openly, which is probably good for all of us to be able to do. So um, they've taught us, older faculty members, um, a lot about how to walk through maybe some trauma or some things that they've been through in their life and come out on the other side and just be okay with it. So the faculty, I think, handles it really well. And we talk about it a lot. So we have a social emotional learning program. And then we also have our um, social emotional piece for staff that we started right before COVID. But then it became very, very, very important during COVID and after COVID. That whole piece has carried forward. And, you know, just wellness, overall health and wellness has been a focus for our staff. For kids... I would say most kids are comfortable with it. Some families are just adamant they're not going to do it. 
And then we have our Hispanic population that frankly uh, really struggles with the idea of accessing mental health and not using your family as that resource. And Jeff knows this too. Sometimes we have to seem together that it's going to be okay that they talk to this person. They don't trust this person. They don't want this person to know their family information. So it takes a while to gain that trust. And also just speaking the language makes a big difference too. Those are the probably the biggest hurdles we have. Otherwise, honestly, we've been so open with it and we talk about it so much that I think that most of our staff and students are really comfortable with that. How do you feel that mental health needs have changed? Maybe we'll stick with students. Obviously, coming out of the pandemic era, there's been nationwide you know, statistics on the increase in need, lots of emerging issues after you know two years of high stress and significant change. What have you seen for any kind of trends with oh, students? Yeah, I would say that some of the trends that we're seeing is uh, apathy depression, more apathy than we've ever seen before in depression, lack of motivation, anxiety, but that's always kind of been there for probably the past 10 years we've seen. Honestly, the anxiety really started with the cell phones. I'm going to be honest with you. So that's been there and that continues to be a problem. The other thing that we're seeing is just a lack of social skills, just a lack of self-reliance, self-confidence, ability to manage stress ability to manage anything that comes at them that's difficult to solve, the inability to manage failure, and then figure out a new way to do something. So we've readjusted how we talk about students and how we talk about the way we teach students. And some of those things that I just mentioned are the things that we have started to focus on with our lesson plans, even in in our classrooms. And with our social emotional learning, like let's teach some self-reliance. Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we overcome obstacles? How do we handle failure? How do we come out on the other side? Like, it's not going to kill you to fail. And sometimes it's good to fail because that's how you learn. Absolutely. So we're trying to teach the positives to some of those things and give them a safe space to be able to experience those things. Because oftentimes, again, I'm going to go back to the cell phone because it is a almost a bigger problem than COVID. I'm going to be honest with you. If they have access to their phones during the day, the anxiety levels of these students go up significantly, especially our kids that struggle with anxiety anyway, because then they're on the phone with their mom, they're texting their mom, they want an answer from their mom, they want to know how to handle a situation. When we take the phones away and we have them sit in a classroom and manage the day, they actually figure it out on their own, which is much more beneficial for them than asking mom how to do it. You just can't do that for the rest of your life. Well, you can, but it's going to be a tough way to live. And you're not going to develop that self-confidence you need to go out and do the things you want to do. So we've been trying to train our kids and help our kids understand why we don't allow the phones in the classroom and why it's really important for them to figure those things out on their own. But that's a leap. Honestly, they don't really get that. How do you handle cell phones in the classroom? Do kids like turn them in at the beginning or are you just honor system hoping they don't pull them out? We've tried a couple things and we've switched up again this year. Dealing with cell phones has been something. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. It's been something. And it's been an experience for teachers, too. That's where it's really tough is for the teachers, honestly, because there's a lack of engagement when they have their phone in their hand, period. There's no way they're concentrating on what's going on in a classroom while they're on their phone. 
It's just not a thing that can happen. People just don't do that. We talk about multitasking, but study after study after study proves that that does not, that's not an effective way to learn. And it's not an effective way to manage your day, frankly. So we have worked really hard this year to make sure that students understand the rules to this, parents understand the rules to this, and we have specific ways to manage it in place. Most of our teachers have gone to lockboxes. So when kids enter the room, they put their phone in their lockbox. Some of them have chargers in there, um, which is really nice for the kids too. And they lock everything up. And then at the end of the class, they open the lockbox and they pick up their phone. So everything's safe. It's right in front of them. Some of them are see-through so they can see them right in front of them. That's my phone. It's okay. It's going to be all right. And honestly, it's an addiction for these kids. So oh, totally. see it is a big deal. It's an addiction for adults too. Let's be real. If somebody wanted to lock my phone up every meeting, I'd be like, right. I yeah. won't go to that meeting. And they're such, <laughs> they're such powerful tools. Yes. I'm sure, you know, you've heard endless reasons why they need access to the phone. It's my coping <laughs> skill. I need yes. to listen to music and that's all valid. But what's also valid is the distraction is very, very real. And then you're speaking a lot about just a growth mindset, right? We've got to figure out a way to get through hard stuff that right. is foundational for being a productive, happy, healthy human being. Right. And and also, honestly, staying off social media during the day helps prevent a lot of fights in the school mm. <laughs> and a lot of conflict because there's a whole social media piece that they get onto and then they want they want to see how many likes they get to something or they say something nasty to a friend on Snap and then people see it and then they start bullying that kid. They've created fake accounts. And then during school, people have attacked one kid in particular. It creates a pretty unhealthy bullying situation and a situation where sometimes they can text each other, hey, meet, meet me in the bathroom and we'll finish this. And they do. So keeping the phones out of their hand is also a safety issue, to be frank. It's safety for them to make sure that they're not going to get themselves into trouble. So it goes pretty deep and the kids can use it for good, but they can also use it for evil too. So we have to make sure they're safe with what, with the tools they have. And that's that for us, the safest has been put it away when you come into the classroom and then you can have it back in the hallway or you can have it back during lunch. You can have it back during homeroom and you can have it back at the end of the day. But when you're engaging in learning, it has to be put away and turned off. Yeah. It's also a sign of respect too, to have that phone put away when your teacher's, you know, standing in front of you and trying to teach you something and interact with you. It, you can't really give eye contact and engagement if you're looking at your phone. Yeah. True. My son was telling me, so he's an eighth grader and he, he started school this past week. He was like, they moved to electronic hall passes, uh, which I found interesting. And he said, they're, they're tracking the times that students are outside of the classroom. Are you guys doing that too? We just started it this year. There's okay. a few in the system, but we we love it. I mean, yeah, and he's right. We can track all of that. Yeah. So he he was telling me about it. I was like, oh, how do you feel about that? And he's like, oh, I don't care. You know, I don't really spend a lot of time outside of the classroom. But he's like, some people do. So I'm curious to see how that plays out and what kind of data that gives you access to. Because, you know, just because you show up to school and you're in attendance doesn't mean that you're spending all of that time in the classroom. So to be able to track that trends and, oh, well, Sally goes every single day at 1130. She's, you know, going to the restroom for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. That gives you some new insight. Well, that's really good insight for parents. 
because oftentimes parents will question us on why. Well, he's in school every day. <laughs> I have had to get him out of the hallway probably 10 times today, just today, to walk him to class because he wasn't going back to class. But when they're seeing that live and they're able to see that data and we sit down in a meeting, in a SAT meeting, for example, um, and say, well, this is why he's not doing very well in Calc because well, that would never happen in Calc, by the way. He's not doing well in Algebra 1 um, because, unfortunately, he is in the hallway and asking for passes every day. And then he leaves and he's gone for 25 minutes. So he's missing a chunk of instruction. And there's no doubt he's not going to do well in this class. So, honestly, that's been that's going to be a piece we're going to be able to use. But there's also, like, you know, some disciplinary things. Kids have to earn being able to go to dances to have to be able to earn to go to activities or participate in things. So we made it really clear this year that there are some, we have some incentives in place for kids for attendance. But for us, attendance has been paramount this year. And that is our big focus is making sure kids are in seats learning and um, in attendance the entire time. I'm always excited and curious to hear about new ways technology can help us um, have a better understanding of how our kids are doing. And you seem to absolutely have the pulse of what's going on in the building. There's new tools and technology that can help. I wanted to ask with regards to mental health, if you look ahead, how do you feel these services, whether it's the external services through a student assistance program, like with Arbor Family Counseling or even internally, how could any of these services be expanded or improved upon? I see schools eventually going to a full-time mental health practitioner in the building. I really do. Or at least a shared person for a few buildings. Mental health needs are not going to be going away, obviously. But with this new responsibility of technology that we have, and it is even more with AI and chat GPT and these other things that are coming along, there's going to be more need, honestly. And again, I don't want to like discount the beauty of a tech of technology, but there are things that come with it that are, that are difficult for some people to manage just, especially if they have mental health issues. So I don't see this being any less. And I've talked to administrators at different conferences and they love the idea of a therapist in the building and it's becoming more and more common practice and I just see that eventually being just something that we do. Like a school, we get a school psych, we also get a mental health practitioner. So that's where I see the future of it going because if we can actually provide some services along with the preventive with SEL and our counseling program, then eventually maybe we can all be a little healthier in the school system and not have to access outside agencies as much. So what was the... SCL, what is that one? Social emotional learning. So we have a K-12 program for social emotional learning and our counselors in the elementary school and middle school and high school are all trained to teach this. And then we are also training our teachers to also implement some of the practices as well. So that curriculum will touch all students across those groups? Yeah. So if you ever want to Google, um, the, I mean, Castle is the guru of social emotional learning. And so we follow a lot of the Castle programs and the five core competencies. So we K-12, hopefully we'll see a change in a difference in our students in their ability to manage their day just through preventive measures too. Terrific. 
that's everything. Being able to manage yourself, being able to manage relationships, being able to self-regulate, being able to tolerate distressing situations. So that skills training, there's been a big focus on it for years in early childhood education. Big emphasis there, but it's lifelong learning. It really needs to be integrated into every age and stage. So that's very great that that's a big part of what you're providing for all students. Yeah. We're hoping that will reduce some bullying issues too. So all of that's really important to us because as Jeff knows, a chunk of our mental health issues come from some of those experiences, those traumatic experiences of being bullied, whether it's by a peer or whatever. Any last thoughts on this school year? You've had one week of school. Hopefully everyone is still somewhat refreshed yeah. from summer and getting ready to you know, face all the things that come up. Any things that you feel your student assistance program, your partnership with Arbor Family Counseling could help with? You know, they're always on hand for crises, which is great because sadly, Ralston's had their fair share of crisis situations. Thank God that we have that outlet. But also, I think going forward, I think even some trainings for people would be great. So any kind of PD that we could get on some of the things that we've kind of talked about so far, but especially how to manage students and uh, their mental health needs. And as a teacher that's dealing directly with that student day to day, and we have hour and a half class periods, so that's a lot of contact with a student that may have whatever concerns. It's how do I best serve this student um, that may be having this issue? Because teachers, even with HIPAA, teachers always know because students tell them or parents call and say, hey, this is going on with my kid. I just wanted you to know that so that, you know, you understood why he's behaving this way or why this is going on. Just maybe some training for our teachers on how to best handle those students and how to best serve those students. That's a great idea. I was really excited. It was the end of last year. I was asked to do a talk for uh, coaches. I would say it was the kind of athletic themed talk on mental health, on some things that could help their students, their student athletes. And that was a great experience. It was something that was customized for that population, something that could be repeated and retooled to use in the future as well. So I was really hopeful to hear that that was something that was asked for. A need was identified and you reached out to a resource to get something like that. And so I'm hopeful that that will continue and there'll be other opportunities. Oh, I think there will. Yes, yes. (laughs) And that was our athletic leadership council that you were actually speaking to. We are hopeful that we have more athletic assistance in the mental health arena because even having a child myself, and she would kill me if I she knew I was talking about her, but who played softball in college, that was a real struggle for her. And this is a this is a person that had it together, resilient, tough girl, very independent, then went off to college. And honestly, there was I don't I don't know what happened, but she really struggled with mental health for the first year or so. And I do see that that is not uncommon. That first year in college for all kids is really tough mentally, but for athletes, it is very serious because they're dealing with a schedule that is stringent. They're dealing with a lot of pressure. 
right out of the gate. And they have these classes that they're trying to and navigating something brand new along with these brand new people. Um, and it's competitive. It's competitive every day. And it's a different level of competition than they've ever seen. And I'm hoping that colleges see this more and more. And I've seen more colleges do this, but more and more they um, implement a program for those athletes. But we kind of feel like if we start that with them, their junior, senior year here, before they go out, they'll know how to access mental health, that it's a normal thing to feel that way, that it's okay to ask for help so that they don't just crumble in their bedroom, you know, and have a mental health breakdown, which is exactly what we're trying to prevent. Absolutely. We both have student athletes in our families, right? And so we can absolutely- uh, I love that subset, sports psychology. Oh, I love it so much. Yeah, it is a huge emerging field. And another neat thing that the student assistance program provides, and sometimes I wonder if educators know this, but we often will follow kids you know, into that first year of school. We will, um, you know, of course, help them get through that senior year. And we have a lot of students that, will take advantage of, hey, let's set up a meeting when you're back on break. Let's set up a Zoom uh, session as you're adjusting into school. And as we talk about emerging needs and maybe plans for the future, I really think that that is a gateway kind of program or even like a specialized service that is something we could really expand on and even formalize. Yeah, I think that's great. And I'm, I'm positive that the teachers don't know that that the staff does not know that happens. That'd be great just to educate the staff on like that scaffolding and that piece where you're actually following them after they leave our walls. I'm not even sure our counselors all know that. So that's an important piece. As I said, it's not formal. It's on a, a case by case, right? But any senior who is going off to school and is engaged in counseling, that is absolutely a priority to get them into that next you know, phase and in a healthy and safe way. Well, I wanted to thank you so much for your time. This has been just an amazing amount of information, lots of, for us to think about, lots of hope for the future, and just wonderful to hear all of the programs that you've been a part of over the years. And uh, I'm sure that the building, the staff, the faculty, the students are all better having you there. Oh, thank you. But, you know, it's, it's great to be at Ralston High School with a team that actually works like the Dickens to make sure these kids have a great experience. So it really is a team effort. And I really, really enjoy being part of this team. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, you bet. Thank you guys. You can find more information in our episode notes about Trivium Life Services, services we provide and additional resources specific to this episode. You can find us at www.triviumlifeservices.org. Trivium is spelled T-R-I-V-I-U-M. To learn more about Arbor Family Counseling and employee assistance programs and student assistance programs, visit us anytime at www.arborfamilycounseling.com. Thank you.